Welcome to the early birds. These are real alcoholics. The book says that this is the deal that separates the men from the boys. So uh, we've got a, a, a chairman here this morning has come a long ways to, to give his uh, attitude of gratitude thing, so we're going to get started here. Let's open the meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Preamble tells us what A is all about. It says, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other. They may solve their common problem and help others recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for a membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. The endorsers nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Since we read uh, out of the big book last night uh, how it works, I'm going to read a little bit about more about alcoholism. Since most of us have been unwilling to admit we are real alcoholics, no person likes to think he's bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we can drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is a great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the free. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently may be, has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control. But such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomparable demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in a grip of progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. I'll quit there and introduce, or introduce uh, welcome our, our uh, morning uh, chairman here. So, Thank you. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Hal. I'm a very grateful alcoholic from Washington, D.C. It's good to be here. One reason I attend these meetings joyfully is to see a lot of old friends and renew old friendships and make new friends. And I look around this room and see a lot of old friends I haven't seen since here. It's always good to see them. It's good to see new friends. That's what it's all about. I want to thank Hal for inviting me and his committee. It's been a beautiful, beautiful week so far. I want to thank John for my taking care of my transportation problems because of my bad leg. He's done a beautiful job helping me get around. I want to thank Luke Reed, God bless his soul, for inviting me to join IDA in 1975. He said, Hal, we have an annual convention, and this year we're having it at the Breakers Hotel in Palm Beach, Florida. Well, Breakers Hotel, boy, that, went, that was a millionaire's hotel. I'd read about that for years. The Breakers Hotel, and never knew anybody that went there, but I heard all about it. The Millionaire's Hotel. 
Then my immediate thought was, boy, if the IDA is going to breakers, it's a first-class operation. And I went and I found out it is and was a first-class operation. And I've been coming back ever since. I've only missed one or two, but as John said last night, he's heard so many of my pitches here. If I fall off the podium this morning, John can take over and give you word, of, word by word. You won't miss a thing. <coughs> Due to this heat spell we've had here and still enjoy it, it reminds me of what happened in Florida. About three or four years ago, they had a heat... Uh, a heat spell down there, similar to the one we've had here, and I'm sure you've heard about this, two or three years ago. And some of the local A men with more than, uh, imaginations decided to do something about that heat. They're going to have an A conference going to change. It's going to fight that heat. And the only way they could fight it was to have a nude AA conference out on a windswept beach. And they looked around. They found a beach in uh, Orlando who would take care of their problems. And they issued these flyers. It would be a regular A conference in terms of a time schedule. Dinner Friday night, first meeting after dinner. Then meetings on Saturday morning, afternoon, evening, and the final closing meeting on Sunday, the regular format. But it would be nude. All meetings on this Winstrup Beach. So they all met. They joined Friday. 250 people showed up. They had a nice dinner and a first meeting out on the beach, cool beach, everything was fine. It was a great evening, a good start. But unfortunately, after the second meeting on Saturday, they canceled the convention because everybody was comparing and nobody was identifying. A good idea, but it just didn't work. <coughs> I had a friend recently, I was speaking somewhere, I don't know where it was, I said, how? When did you start this attitude of gratitude business? And I said, young man, I didn't start this attitude of gratitude business. There's nothing new in AA. All the principles and concepts and spiritual things that came from this program started years and years ago. I said, in fact, for your information, Dr. Conway Hunter and Charlotte, his lovely wife, gave me a plaque, a bronze plaque some years ago, <coughs> labeled gratitude, and it quoted some famous philosophers of what they, had, what they had to say about gratitude, and here are the quotes. Plato, 347 B.C. Plato had this to say, A grateful mind is a great mind which eventually attracts to itself great things. Now, if that's too old for you, we'll bring you up to date with Cicero, 54 B.C., that's a little closer to today. Cicero had this to say, Gratitude is not only the grandest of all virtues, but is the parent of them all. Then to get to the modern generation, modern century, he quoted William James. William James, the author of the famous book, Varieties of Religious Experiences, it was such a profound effect on Bill Wilson's understanding of spirituality, William James had this to say in this century. The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can change, can alter their lives by altering their attitudes. Let me repeat that. The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes. Change your attitude. Keep an attitude of gratitude. 
Then recently I ran across a quote from Meister Eckhart. This goes back to the 13th, 14th century. I'm not sure of the date. Meister had this to say. The only prayer you ever pray in your entire life is thank you, that will be enough. If the only prayer you ever pray in your entire life is thank you, that will be enough. I heard about gratitude when I first came to the program, <clears throat> November 17, 1964, New York City. My original home group was the uh, Lenox Hill, 2 East 90th Street. And they told me, and all of us newcomers, we should be a grateful alcoholics. And I remember my first reaction, negative thinking. The guy on the podium said, I'm a grateful alcoholic. And my negative thought was, what's he grateful about? He grateful he can't drink and have fun anymore? What, what kind of talk is this? And I asked my sponsor, he said, no, you don't have to be grateful. You can be an ungrateful alcoholic if you want to, but you're grateful or ungrateful. But all the people you've been associating with the last three or four months, the guys and the gals with a twinkle in their eyes and a smile on their faces seem to be enjoying life are all grateful alcoholics. <clears throat> and he explained to me, if I saw a grateful alcoholic, I'd see a sober alcoholic. He explained that gratitude was the basic ingredient in humility. And humility was the basic ingredient in anonymity. And anonymity was the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. He told me there's an old law of physics. The two things cannot occupy the same place at the same time. Therefore, if I had a heart full of gratitude, there'd be no room in my heart or my life for anger and fear, guilt, remorse, self-pity, all those things that drive an alcoholic back into the bottle. Told me that no matter how bad it got, no matter what they did to me, if I use the tools you've given me, the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, the virtues that come from an attitude of gratitude. In other words, if I face that situation or that individual with patience and tolerance and kindness and generosity, and compassion and love. If I use the tools you've given me, I can happily accept any situation or any individual that comes down the pike. You taught me that misery is optional. Misery is optional. I can't change reality, but I can change my attitude towards reality. <clears throat> and I choose to keep an attitude of gratitude. I look at the world through a prayer of a new pair of glasses that Chuck Chamberlain, God bless his soul, explains so beautifully in his little book. Same reality, but a new pair of glasses makes things look different. It alters my perception of... <clears throat> so I begin to understand, because all the people I was associating with, running around with in New York, were all happy people. They were enjoying life, living it up. So I begin to understand what gratitude meant. And I've been in about four or five months, I guess, Let's go over your gratitude list. I said, my what? He said, your gratitude list. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, every alcoholic keeps a gratitude list, things you're grateful for. And I said, I think you forgot from whence I came. And I reminded him 
I've just been kicked out of the Air Force. After 25 years flying those airplanes, a career pilot, command pilot, flying those hot airplanes all over the world, living what I'd prayed for, worked for, enjoyed to for 20, kicked out for alcoholism. Didn't have any uh, treatment centers in those days. The Air Force didn't any alcoholic, they kicked them out. That's why they got solved their alcohol problem. And there I was. Uh, my career was shot, total disaster. My life was over, it was through. As I said, everything I'd worked for, prayed for, lived for 25 years, gone. My life was total disaster, total chaos. <clears throat> Unemployed, unemployable, bankrupt mentally, physically, spiritually, financially. What I have to be grateful for? My life is over. He said, well, I think you have something to be grateful for. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll help you with your gratitude list. So you get out a paper and pencil. said, I'll dictate and you write. Yes, sir. Hal Marley, gratitude list. Number one, you're grateful you're alive. Two, you're grateful you're sober. Three, you're grateful you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Four, you're grateful you got a place to sleep tonight. Five, you're grateful you got some food on the table. Six, you got over 400 brand new friends you didn't know four months ago. 400 brand new A friends you've met here in the immediate New York area. <clears throat> 400 brand new friends who love you, who understand you, and who'll do anything they can in the world to help you stay sober one day at a time. Some of you gratefully got a job. Say, wait a minute, don't have a job. Gratefully you don't have a job gives you more time to go to AA meetings. <laughs> In those days, three, day, three meetings a day was minimum. No big deal. Every major group had a meeting at 7.30, beginner's meeting at 7.30 to 8.20. Then you went upstairs 10 minutes to get to the speaker meeting. Upstairs, the regular speaker meeting. Then a noonday meeting at St. Thomas. So three meetings a day was no big deal. But there I started being grateful for meetings and going to meetings, meetings, meetings. I'm a meeting man. <clears throat> There's a famous uh, robber. He got hauled before the courts some 20 or 30 times for robbing banks. The judge finally asked him, what's his name? Willie Sutton. Willie Sutton. And the judge said, Willie, you've been before me 25 times. Robbing banks. Why do you keep on robbing those banks? And Willie said, that's where the money is. <clears throat> so that's why Willie went to the bank. And people ask me, I've had 36 years sobriety, and I still go to two and three A meetings a day. People why do you go to those meetings? Because that's where sobriety is, ladies and gentlemen. So I still go to a lot of A meetings and enjoy them thoroughly, thoroughly. Can't get enough. So I've been <clears throat> in for another four or five months. And my sponsor one day says, you know, it's no big deal sitting around these meetings saying my name is so-and-so and I'm a grateful alcoholic. And try to tell you how to live an attitude of gratitude anymore. I tell you how to work the steps. It's an individual program. Easy does it, but do it. I'll tell you how I try one day at a time to live an attitude of gratitude. I start every morning on my knees. As soon as I wake up, I used to say, I guess it's the first time I spoke here, 25 years ago. You say, I'd jump out of bed in the morning and get on my needle. I didn't jump then. I certainly don't jump today. 
But I crawl out of the sack and I get on my knees and I thank God for three things every morning. No matter where I am physically in the world, geographically, no matter what the program is for the day, no matter what the weather is, I have those three things to be great. Thank God I'm alive. Thank God. Because I figure those three things going for me, I'm in pretty good shape. Not just to cope and put up with another 24 hours. None of that white knuckle, clenched teeth sobriety. No, with those three things going for me, I'm in pretty good shape to live and thoroughly enjoy another 24 hours of the AA way of life. Because that's what it is for me. A is not something I joined, it's something I live. One day at a time. So on my knees in the morning, it's a good way to start the day. And on my knees at night, thanking God for another good day. What about nine to five out in the real world? From nine to five, for 32 years, I had to pour booze on that reality to make it acceptable. Because the reality was not acceptable without booze. But I found I was one of those lucky alcoholics and for years and years and years. Booze was my best friend and it worked. It altered my perception of reality. It didn't change reality, but it altered my perception. It lessened the pain of reality. And I used it for years and years. But there came a day when my best friend booze failed me. It didn't do it anymore. It didn't. There came a day where the agony of alcoholism was more painful than the... <coughs> and the Air Force uh, kicked me out. I had the best job there was in the Air Force. I was on the faculty at the National War College, the highest educational institution in the United States government. And they were, I was warned by the Commandant, General Butch Griswold, three-star Air Force. said, you're doing a good job, but you set a bad example. And the bad example was the fact we went to the officers' club for lunch every day, and I and another lush from the industrial college go to the bar and drink our lunches. Here's the faculty, all the student body. You're setting a bad example for the students, a bad, bad example. So I quieted down for, I don't know, three or four months before long for back drinking my lunch every day. So finally the boss called me in and said he thought the Air Force and the National War College get along pretty well without a, a drunken professor. And he gave me a, a, a choice. I had the time in 30 years for retirement. Plus, so I had the required time, 30 years for retirement. So I could sign retirement, volunteer retirement papers or the Air Force would court duty and take away my pension. I had a choice. It didn't take me very long to decide which of those two to sign up. So according to the record, I voluntarily retired from the Air Force after 30 years. <coughs> and here I was out of the Air Force. My career, I said, was shot. And here again, the grace of God. Now, I knew that booze had something to do with me getting kicked out of the Air Force, but I knew some officers who drank as much as I was, I thought, and they were still there. They're still doing their job, still flying. Okay, you know. Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? <clears throat> and I thought, well, something's wrong with this thinking mechanism. No sane man would drink away the opportunities the Air Force has given me. I had a good family, the perfect job with the Air Force, as a woman with my background. <clears throat> and uh, why would I? Something's wrong with my thinking mechanism. What I need to see is a good psychiatrist. And he'll wind this thing up, put it back on the track, or whatever good psychiatrists do to get me back to a social drinker. 
And here again, by the grace of God, I randomly selected, out of some list of, I think, 18 or 20 psychiatrists, random selected one who happened to have a New York, <coughs> and he was, had just graduated from Columbia PNS, one of the first medical colleges to teach alcoholism in its course and to require its interns to go to a minimum of 12 AA meetings. So the psychiatrist that I randomly picked, the graduate of Columbia PNS, he knew about alcoholism. He was a very patient psychiatrist. He listened to my jazz for, for uh, 30 days. And <clears throat> said, Al, you're not, you're not, nothing wrong with your thinking mechanism. And I cannot help you with your booze problem. I'm a psychiatrist. There is an organization called Alcoholics Anonymous. I suggest you go see them. <clears throat> and I went to see AA, as I told you, November 17, 1960. And by the grace of God in this wonderful program, people like you, I haven't had a desire or necessarily found it necessary to drink since then. <clears throat> now, how did I do this? How did this happen? Prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Prayer had become increasingly important. On my knees in the morning and on my knees at night, and during the day, that 9 to 12, put up with this reality that for 32 years, <clears throat> one of my original sponsors was a Methodist minister. I learned a lot from him about uh, prayer. He referred me to Norman Vincent Peale's action prayers, thinking prayers, shoot of, I call them con conscious contact with God, call them what you want to. <clears throat> throughout the day. There are many prayers that I use. The surrender prayer, of course, is standard, never wears out. And there are a bunch of prayers in the 24-hour book. One especially I use, January 12th, says, I'm grateful for the things I have received and do not deserve. I pray that this gratitude will make me truly humble. I pray that I may be grateful for the things I have received and do not deserve. I pray that this gratitude will make me truly... Remember the definition my sponsor gave me of humility early in the game. It says, humility is a recognition of the allness of God and the nothingness of self. Humility is a recognition of the allness of God and the nothingness of self. Of myself, I am nothing. <clears throat> I was leading a closed meeting in the Washington area some years ago. And the subject of the closed meeting was the third step prayer. I quote this one line. Relieve me of the bondage of self, and I may better do thy will. And one of my well-meaning friends said, Well, hell now, you got quite a few 24 hours. You go to a lot of meetings. You try to help people. You deserve some credit. You don't have to kill self. You've worked hard. You, you deserve some credit. I said, well, wait a minute. Let's look at the record. The record was for 49 years. Hal Marley, me, myself, and I ran this. Now, there have been some good years in those first 49 years. There have been outstanding years in those first 49 when me, myself, and I ran this show. However, we pay off on end results. And the end results when me, myself, and I ran the show, as I told you, was kicked out of the Air Force. Total disaster. My life was over. That was the end result when me, myself, and I what I have to do is get rid of self. I have to kill self every day. And I quoted one of my morning readings from God Calling, May 3rd. The title of reading for the day is Kill Self Now. And that's what I have to do. Kill self now. Every day. Kill self.
Some young lady came in late at the meeting. She sat down and said, what's the subject? Her seatmate said, suicide, suicide. <laughs> that's what I have to do. I have to commit suicide a day at a time for the rest of my life. Keep that self killed. <clears throat> and I'm remind, reminded of a, one of our favorite psychiatrists, Dr. Harry Tebow. Most of you know Dr. Tebow was the first psychiatrist to become acquainted with Bill Wilson who understood and supported Alcoholics Anonymous, the program. And matter of fact, Bill made him one of the first Class A trustees of the first Board of Trustees in 1950 of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was very active in A until he died. He was asked to deliver a paper to the American Psychiatric Association's annual meeting explaining Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> and he uh, said, well, it's a very fine organization. I've observed it closely, another co-founder. And the secret of success in AA is complete ego reduction in depth and the maintenance thereof. Complete ego reduction in depth and the maintenance thereof. And he said, while I find <clears throat> in other maladjustments, egocentrism, while I find egocentrism in other maladjustments, I find it in its purest culture in the alcoholic. So there's our problem, ladies and gentlemen. Complete ego reduction in depth and the maintenance thereof. <clears throat> So how do I maintain an attitude of gratitude? How I live an attitude of gratitude? Well, as I said, the prayer in the morning and the afternoon, prayer throughout the day. <clears throat> so prayers. My original sponsor referred me to Norma Vincent Peale's little pamphlet on action prayers, thinking prayers, shooting prayers, all forms of meditation, conscious contact with God. And he had a pamphlet he published. Those of you who know Norma Vincent Peale, he used to be sermons every day, every week, and then little pamphlets he would, a speech he would make here and there, he made speeches all over the world. And he'd publish them, and you get on the mailing list, and you get all of his speeches all over the world. And one of them he had, the pamphlet was, What is your trouble? And you look inside, and your trouble was <coughs> sickness in the family, death in the family, lost a job, they moved to California, I was speaking in California last month, and I said, I moved to California, got a large boo from the audience. For you people to speak around the country, check where you are geographically before you start making snide remarks about the location. At any rate, anyway, there's a long list of problems people have, and everyone, see page so-and-so, and you look up the page number, and here was a biblical quotation pertinent to that problem, whatever it was. <clears throat> and you go down through the list, and the last one is alcoholism. See page 26. Page 26 says, go to Alcoholics Anonymous. That was Norman Vincent Peale, God bless his soul. A friend of mine asked me, he said, you know that pamphlet you're talking about? I said, yeah. I said, let me have it. I want to make a Xerox copy and send it to a friend. I looked, I couldn't find it anywhere. And I realized a couple of years ago, some friend of mine borrowed it. A friend. So I'm a little word of warning to you newcomers. If you have something you don't mind getting rid of, and you're probably never again, loan it to an AA friend. <laughs> now there are exceptions. There are exceptions. Don't misunderstand me, but be careful. 
<coughs> a friend of mine somewhere, I don't know, my 10th or 15th, said, Al, there's a new book I just read last week. I think you'd enjoy it. Is it something Hazel to put out? I said, no, 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 this is an old book, really. It was written in 1666. Most of you know what I'm talking about. The Practice of the Presence of God, written in 1666 by Brother Lawrence. And it's a series of conversations and letters he wrote back and forth between him and his peers. And the first uh, conversation dated August 3rd, one of his peers saying, Brother Lawrence, I've observed you for the last six months, and everything you do, the way you smile, the way you talk, the twinkle in your eyes, your job, everything about you exudes peace, man. How in the world do you do it? And Brother Lawrence said, if you want peace of mind, peace with God, peace with your fellow man, all you have to do is to turn over with complete abandon your material and spiritual life to the care of God. And he goes on and explains in the next few paragraphs what we call the third step. Of so again, there's nothing new in AA. It's been around a long time. <clears throat> so how do I live an attitude of gratitude by trying to practice the presence of God? Brother Lawrence goes on to explain how he was first job in the, was in the kitchen cleaning up the dirty dishes and silver and all that stuff. It was horrible job. Filthy job. He hated it and all that. All those dirty dishes and pans. And, but he started practicing the presence of God. And he suddenly enjoyed washing and cleaning and shining all those things because it was dirty. Then he got promoted to the the uh, shoe shop. We did tic-tac-toe, repairing shoes. And God was there with him and he did an excellent job. He was very proud of the work he did. And he started enjoying the practice of the presence of God. So... <clears throat> Trying to practice the presence of God. Remember, God is with me. I'm never alone. <clears throat> One of my old friends who died of cancer, Father Allegrell, had a four, uh, eight-word description of this. Without God, I can't. Without me, he won't. So prayer in the morning, prayer throughout the day, prayer in the evening, and trying to practice the presence of God. And all it does is sum up, oversimplify, if that's what it is, trying to live by these spiritual principles. Enunciating the 12 steps of alcoholics and all. And I can't simplify it any more than Bill Wilson does in his <coughs> preface to the 12 and 12, where Bill says the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. And that's what you people this fantastic program have given me. A happy, useful, whole life restored to the human race back in the mainstream, living, loving, and thoroughly enjoying the AA way of life. Thank you all for listening. God bless. We will have volunteers. Any volunteers in the audience waiting to be called on in case you don't want to give it up. Another old and dear friend. Good morning, everybody.
George, an alcoholic, sober since April 1978. That's a Texas tradition to give our sobriety date. You know, it, I, I heard Hal give this talk many times, and especially I'm grateful this year, 23rd IDA meeting. I've got a lot of friends here. I started out at San Diego, but the meeting I went to uh, just before that was in Morristown in the spring of that year. I met a gal from uh, Houston, Ed, and uh, that, there were some breakout meetings late at night. There was a small gang of us, and we broke out our respective rooms. Ed with his door open, and I was passing by, he hollers out to me, and I walked in there, and he's sitting on the bedside, and he says, would you pull my boots off? And if you all remember, Ed, he had a, he was handicapped some way with his leg, and he had always had trouble pulling his, but I especially remember him, one from being from Texas, for saying that uh, people that go to these doctors in AA meetings, IDA meetings, stay sober. My first year of sobriety, and I was really impressed. You know, when you talk about gratitude, or just, just the thing, one of the great things in my life, year after year, you know, uh, early. And an unusually difficult year for me. You get a lot more spiritual when the going. Last year when I was at this, visited in Cleveland with my sister, which I suspected, but didn't know her, but that was a hard thing for me. But, you know, I was so grateful that I had all this accept that and work through and uh, June 5th uh, I decided to get a PSA and that very same day I got news that a good friend was Ed Buckaloo had had a mycosis fungoides for 12 it was sober 20 years when he was an avid marathon run, run two, 245 marathon you know I was just grateful to know someone like during those years he knew he had a di- terminal diagnosis and we very very personally t- I've find that, you know, you can, and uh, out of that, uh, well, out of that uh, same day that he died, I had a PSA and it went to a biopsy and a prostatectomy. Just recently had this surgery and, and I removed this catheter yesterday morning, but I drove down here yesterday planning to come early and all the way down here. It was kind of a shock and when I got here, I, I always feel it imperative one to share stuff, that, get that stuff out of the way so I can get, you know, to have the gift of this programming, you know, I watched my friend Ed, this marathon record of his. And aside from that, uh, before that, I had my uh, blood pressure checked by my nurse, the physical. <coughs> but anyway, my blood pressure was way up there. You know, my daughter happened to have Graves' pregnancy. Sometimes as doctors, we know residual tumor, and so I'm going to do radiation. So knowing that, you know, it gives me room to worry and room to have work harder than I ever had. And going over to the hospital when in labor, uh, I was praying, I said, God, why not us? You, why, you should. This is them we're all very grateful for. In 1988, when Luke did beautifully and done an outstanding job. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Uh, my name is Deck, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic in recovery and a grateful member of Al-Anon. Um, Boy, that's big. I, I'm kind of like George's granddaughter. I, uh, when I look at George, I just sit there and smile. Uh, <laughs> you, you've been a real, real help to IDA, George. Uh, George is a finder doc for uh, lost docs in Texas. And uh, so we, I get correspondence regularly, and George is really, really faithful about 
finding doctors who are lost and also reporting when we lose docs, and he uh, talked about Ed. I, I was not born with an attitude of gratitude, and I, I came to a lot of IDA meetings uh, lacking that attitude. And it is a, uh, a sad thing when you introspect like do and find in there a lack of attitude of gratitude. And I had, I had attitudes, but, and I uh, heard Hal, I've heard Hal over and over and over and over again. And it's that, it's that repetition reminding me that I need an attitude of gratitude that finally it wears through that, that tough exterior, that kind of walnut shell uh, outside covering that, uh, that prevents me from knowing that inside I do have an attitude of gratitude. Um, I go to an Al-Anon meeting on Thursday night in St. Louis. It's called Stumbling Blocks. And there's a fellow there uh, who, who talks about love and who talks about... Uh, he's, and he said, you have to go within. If you can't go within, and I thought how many, many, many years, and I went without knowing that inside every one of us is the fundamental God, and that that's where we can go to find this attitude that will restore us to sanity. Because talk about of myself, of myself, I'm crazy, uh, and in, until I can get inside and and link up with that attitude of gratitude and that spiritual power, uh, and this kill self stuff, I, I never wanted to kill self. I mean that that would be painful, and I heard, I was I was resistant to that idea until I heard uh, or read someone uh, in who talks about spirituality who says we have to die to self. If we have to kill self, that's a little bit too proactive and, and, and it might involve too much pain, but we have to, to die in the letting go kind of way, that let's go. And, and, and that's been uh, kind of a, a beacon for me to try and, and not kill self, but just die to self a bit. Thanks, Hal, for helping. Thanks, my name is Michael Wilkes, I'm an alcoholic. I always thought it was uh, everybody else who had the accent, not me. But anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to be here. I try and make the trip from, from London every year because, uh, yeah, maybe I can recite passages verbatim of what Hal said. I'm very grateful to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm very grateful for the ten, And I'm very grateful for the changes that I know have happened in my life. The changes that are not really anything that I was there and I did some... And I'm grateful for the fact that there are so many people here who understand where I come from. And I've had a good, I've had a good 10 years, that overworked phrase, they really are. And I've, I've, had, um, I've had my program and my beliefs test for months because uh, I'm still at that stage with it of being resentful and angry and definitely not grateful. Um, I'm 52, and I think that's a bit young. And um, I had begun to feel that I deserved more, and maybe that's why uh, to test you know, as, as, as a test for me, because I, thinking about it, uh, I don't deserve this. And actually, it's true that I don't deserve this, but then I don't really deserve to be here. You know, I don't really deserve to have the relationship that I have with my children. I don't deserve to have 
achieve something in the professional life that I choose that I never thought I could ever do. And so the question of deciding whether I deserve something or not isn't really part of the, the debate. I remember hearing Ray O'Keefe say once, Ray O'Keefe came to he said that you hear people in meetings who say, you know, since I've been coming to AA, I realize that, uh, you know, I may not uh, get what I want. And he said, um, actually, you get what you get. And I suppose part of recovery is about adjusting and balancing. And um, I think that that's what the struggle is for me. And I still, when I went through the kind of the rage and the anger and the fury and the, yes, the self-pity and, and yes, the resentment about it. And that's still very much part of my attitude here, which of course is clouding some of the way that I can actually leave the, the benefits of this program. I, I accept that. But it also taught me something that I had thought that I might have moved a bit beyond, which is about acceptance and about powerlessness, that I can feel and know, and the different things there, knowing something but feeling it, the acceptance of it all the way through about my powerlessness over alcohol, and that I could never, ever, ever conquer. It's something that's so much part of me that, you know, I don't have to think about it on a daily basis. It's, it's all there. But I thought that maybe I'd got a bit more beyond that and that the powerlessness over had a bit of. And I still think deep that if I want something to be so, then it, and if I don't want to have cancer, and I hadn't realized how deep, I'm still very strong. And so this has been a period of adjustment, and already I can feel an adjustment of attitude. And already I can see and feel some of the... I had a good relationship with my kids, but it's changed again. Therapy. And they'll be around to help me. It's changed my attitude to my work. I've decided now to only work a one and a half. Uh, um, and nobody else, nobody has ever done that. All the, best, all the best suggestions of my friends and family and sponsor have failed completely to make me do that. But this diagnosis has. So there has been some changes. And, um, and I'll be here. Thank you. I understand our dear friend Duck is in the hospital with a heart problem, so please. Ed, you? I'm Jim. I'm a very grateful alcoholic. And it didn't happen overnight. You know, I got sober in June. No, I didn't get sober. I got dry in June of 1986. Spent the first eight months at a hospital. I got airlifted by ambulance out of El Centro, California, because I was paralyzed. And I spent five weeks at St. Joseph's Hospital in Phoenix. And then I went into uh, St. Luke's Treatment Center. And from there, they shipped me down to Doug. And I was there for six months. And I went back to the, my valley. And I was absolutely miserable. I went to meetings every day. I had a sponsor who called me every morning. He listened for 10 minutes, and then he'd say, poor Jim, poor Jim. And I'd see him every night at a meeting, and he'd say, poor Jim. And I, you know, I think John Milner is my saint. I drove over to uh, San Diego, it's 120 miles, spent an hour with him every week, and I must have pestered him on the phone three times a day, and the man always had time for me. At 23 months sober, and I will never forget this, 
I went down to the Double Tree in Texas for us, a Texas medical group that Dr. Milner made me go to. And it was being run by this man here. And it was the attitude of gratitude. And I arrived at the attitude of gratitude absolutely miserable. You know, I remember walking in and anybody I'd seen before at the IDAA in Lexington, Kentucky, I told them how miserable I was. <laughs> the man I feel sorry is for, I don't know if he's here, but was Ray Armstrong. I sat on the bus with him. We went out to Charter House. It took about 45 minute drive, and I told him how miserable things were. And you know, it got so bad during that meeting that I quit going to meetings, and I just sat in the hospitality room and drank coffee. And I'll never forget on Saturday afternoon, Hal Morley came in with someone else, I don't remember who that was, and they sat down at the table next to me. And I don't remember what they said, but when they left, I had a spark of gratitude. And I went to the Sunday morning spiritual, and I remember it started then. It didn't happen overnight, but it gradually grew. And my life has gone better and better. And you know, it hasn't changed. I'm in the same house with the same wife. I even have one of the same cars, you know. I practice in the same office. But everything's changed up here. That attitude has changed. And it's come slowly. And you know, the thing that I am most grateful for is the people in AA. I could sit here and for an hour tell you all the people I have to thank for the sobriety I have. You know, when I was down in Georgia, I was at Talbot's, but I really got a lot of my sobriety at a clubhouse called the 8111. And there's a sign over the door which to me represents AA. We can do what I can't. I never could have gone sober alone. I never can stay sober alone. I still get to five meetings a week, and if I'm in trouble, I get to two or three a day. You know, I didn't have that luxury when I first came. I live in a valley 100 miles east to west and 70 miles north to south. And there are 10 meetings a week when I got there. We're now up to 42 a week, and they're all bigger. So I'm very grateful that I want to leave you with one thought. We had a man who came to the valley when I was about five years sober. He was, 40, he was 41 years sober. And he taught me a great deal. And he had something he used to say. Anxiety is a measure of your distance from God. So when you have anxiety, that means more knee time is needed. More prayer time is needed. And with that, I want to thank, I want to thank everybody here because IDAA has made my life so wonderful. Thank you. Has been me. <clears throat> my name's Bobby, and I'm an alcoholic. It's, um, there's not many people I get up at this hour of the morning for, uh, but Hal is one of them, and I, uh, I also uh, met some wonderful new people yesterday, and uh, they're here for their first time, and I said, you better be here.
So I figured if I told them they better be here, I better be here too. But I wouldn't miss this meeting. It is a, it's one of my greatest um, happenings in my life. And you know, my first IDAA meeting was in 1978. And I was told to be here at seven o'clock to hear how. And I have never stopped coming because this man has done so much for me that, uh, uh, and, and I have been able to pass on. When I get a new sponsee, those sponsees have to write an attitude of gratitude. And when they start getting rangy, I say, uh, well, what did you write on your gratitude list today? Huh? And so we start going through the gratitude list again. And I have a gratitude list, and I'm so very grateful that I heard this in 1978, that I write an attitude of gratitude and have that list. I am extremely grateful for IDAA being here. Um, most of you know I am not a physician, but I practice with a license because I work with Ed, you see, and, and that, that helps a whole lot. But um, uh, I just feel so much a part of, of this organization, and I am really proud to be here, and I look forward to, um, as Jim said, I look forward to this every year. It is a wonderful, it's a, my giant pit stop, one of my giant pit stops, and uh, so to each and every one of you. I want to remind you that we have another early bird meeting uh, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we have some chairmen that are going to chair those, and it'll be the same thing. So if you haven't shared, you got three more days.